All right, here we go. Episode 23 of Stick to Hockey Live, presented by Park Sportsbook. Jason Rakitas, Anthony Mangione from Center Ice Philly and Off the Post going to join us coming up in just a couple of minutes. And a lot to get to on this episode as another hockey week is upon us. Flyers play today, 3 o'clock at the Wells Fargo Center, game two of an eight-game homestand. Today, it's Rod Brindamore's Carolina Hurricanes, back-to-back, two former Flyer players as head coaches in back-to-back days at the Wells Fargo Center. Brindamore and the Canes today, and then tomorrow will be Craig Berube and the St. Louis Blues who visit Wells Fargo Center. Let me tell you about Park Sportsbook because now's a great time to get the app, download it on your phone, on your iPhone, on your Android, whatever you're using, and check it out, navigate it, buzz around on it a little bit, see what it's got to offer, see how easy it is to use. You know, you can check out the different ways to bet, like player performances, same game parlays, puck lines, money lines, first to score, exact score, over-under on points and the hoops, uh, all kinds of different stuff. It's all there for you, and it's so simple to use. So check it out. It's the Park Sportsbook app. Again, download it, and all you got to do is open an account, deposit, and you get your first bet risk-free up to $500. $500 risk-free, no promo required. So make sure you download it, and uh, again, just buzz around on it. Check it out and uh, see how easy it is to use. A local company that we know, like, and trust. So it's always great to support the local companies as well. So get the Park Sportsbook app and give them a follow on their social channels at Park Sportsbook on Twitter. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. You get great content there from Natalie and Sam and all the different Rich Gannon and Eddie Alvarez. And, of course, Stick to Hockey Live and the Odd G's podcast with Harry Mays as well. So tons of great content. So, again, give them a follow at Park Sportsbook. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. Now, this episode, we're going to talk about the Flyers talk about Claude Giroux. We're going to talk about roster construction, all the different elements and all the different decisions that need to be made for this team right now, because there's a lot on the table as we get closer and closer here to the NHL trade deadline coming up on March 21st. But right now, joining me, welcome him in now. It is Anthony Mingioni from the Stick to F1 podcast on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Where else are you writing, Ant? Where's all the different places? It's <laughs> Centerize, Centerize Philly Magazine and, of course, uh, Off the Post Radio uh, podcast as well. All right, that's where you can read Ant's stuff. Great stuff, as always. And uh, the podcast uh, on Sundays, that always do a great job. Uh, where I want to start, Ant, is kind of an, an odd spot. Because you would think we would start with Giroux, and we'll get there. But let's start with an Olympic-bound athlete who performed extremely well. He is a property of the Philadelphia Flyers. He was a seventh-round draft pick, and he is six-seven goaltender Ivan Fedotov, taken in the seventh round all the way back in the 2015 draft. Which means at this point, he's already 25 years old. Competed in the Olympics, won silver, 936 save percentage, had some shutouts, performed great. But there's this notion that he's going to come over and he's going to be the backup to Carter Hart next year. I don't buy it. Not there yet. Um, And again, it all depends on his situation uh, over in Russia right now. I know this season he was playing with Seska. He's 26 games played. But prior to that, he was with uh, with track. He played 26 games with Tractor last year. Uh, and, And again, his numbers look great, but again, when you're trying to compete against uh, Sieska, you know they can put a lot of money in front of him uh, to ensure you know that he he, he stays there uh, and plays and, and plays for them. Um, yeah, he's he's had a great year, and certainly, the, I guess the point of view you have to look at it from his perspective is, if I'm going to make this jump from the K to the to to, to North America, 
at this point at age 25, do I have a shot at, a, at an NHL job? And is the team, my, the team is offering me that? Or are they saying, we want you to start off at the Phantoms first and then work your way into an NHL job? And he's in a spot here where I feel like he can kind of make, you know, he can make that call for himself, but he's going to have to see, again, you still have Felix Sandstrom uh, in system. I, I, they have, and the Flyers, of course, have Kitty Lustomenko as well. So it would be. And Urson. Exactly. And, and, Urson, and Sam Urson as well. You have a lot of competition, you know, maybe within a year or so, if that, you know, certain things shake out, shake out differently than then me, you know, maybe one of those players has moved off and there's more of a window open. I just don't see it happening going into next season. I just going into 2022, 2023, I don't see him necessarily coming over. Could surprise us, but he'd have to, I just feel like he would have to have some levels of assurances almost that, you know, I got a, this is an open opportunity for a spot next to Carter Hart. Uh, and that if I really, really perform well, then I can, then I'll be playing NHL minutes. A right, couple of things. Number one, the spot next to Carter Hart is an NHL contract, not a two-way AHL. Mm-hmm. Much, much different payday every two weeks. When you when you go and look at your direct deposit, it looks a lot different. Yeah. Seventy grand for the AHL, basically yeah. seven hundred for the a- NHL. So that's number one. And obviously, he's making money over there. They're doing everything they can to keep him over there because he's a bit of a spectacle and he's been there a while. Like you said, great numbers in the K. Number two, adjusting to the small ice. It you don't just jump off that that Olympic size sheet, the international ice, and jump in and have success. We've seen it with Felix Sandstrom. He needed a while to assimilate. It's a totally different game. It's it's almost it's you know your feel your spatial awareness is totally different. Shots come from far different places. Offenses attack totally different. In the KHL, they'll pass it on a breakaway. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've got the space. You've got, yeah. you've got the, you, you have to play the width of the game. And it's not, as we all know, if, you're, if you watch KHL, it's not as much of a North South game. There's space that playmakers have at, in that, on that ice that you just don't have in North America. So yeah. you, the, every, the very nature of offense is going to be coming at you at a much faster rate. And I'd add to the mix, Jace, as well, is that, I, you know, I, and this is, he's had obviously great numbers in the K. I think uh, and much of this is because of his Olympic performance. But we also have to keep in mind that this is not the Olympic tournaments that we have been, you know, have seen previously. The talent level is not is not the same in this Oli- yeah. in this Olympic tournament uh, that Canada. He, he wasn't as if he was going up against, you know, Sidney Crosby or, you yeah, know, Tavares and Tavares David. <laughs> Exactly. You don't you don't have those guys and or the defensemen who can activate. I mean, you know, when you're playing a young Jake Sanderson on the third pair, obviously before he got hurt, um, Stephen Camper, there's a massive this is like yeah. a hodgepodge of of different leagues and not necessarily the type of tournament. So I would caution people. Yes, you should look at his KHL numbers and say this is a guy who may have, you know, has a chance to be at the NHL. But immediately talking about next season, I don't, I, I'm, I'm highly dubious on that idea. Well, the other part of it too is you can't, I don't believe in having a, well, he's not young because he's 25 because he was drafted way back. But a, a guy that's got very little NHL experience as a backup to an already very young starter. You know what I mean? Like people are kind of fed up with bringing in the veteran backup from Brian Elliott to, 
Martin Jones. Who's the next guy going to be? Is it going to be a Braden Holpe? Is it going to be a, a Reimer? One of those guys, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that there's value in that for Carter Hart that people that we don't see on the ice, but we see it as a byproduct of how he performs on the ice. And the other thing is, you know, when you look at it, there, there's only one net. If he's coming over, he's looking for a path to be a starter to sign a mega deal. Is the path in Philadelphia there with Carter Hart? A, is it, does it even start in the AHL? It could start in on in the East Coast League yeah. because you have Ustamenko, you have Felix Sandstrom. If they bring in a veteran, if they don't bring in a veteran backup and say the, the backup would be Sandstrom, then you still have three guys for one net down with the Phantoms. So there's a lot of variables here. I, th- I just want to caution people on being presumptuous about Fedotov. And again, at that size, does he have the lateral ability to move at the NHL level? You're right. That tournament was far different. Yes. And the K is far different than the NHL, where everything in the offensive zone is and now. That, and that and that Russian that the the ROC team, the Russian team was loaded with KHLers. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so that level as well. And again, you could say, hey, well, they could have had NHL players, you could have had an Ovechkin playing, you could have had a number of other players playing. Sure. It still was probably a roster of pretty again khl solid enough but the 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 opposition that you were going up against was was very much a hodgepodge yeah I mean, if the nhlers were there he wouldn't have been there Bobrovsky and vasilevsky would have been there <laughs> or sorokin and you know i mean the the depth in russian goaltending is mm-hmm. absurd at this point um let's get to Giroux though let's kind of uh we buried the headline and you know so drew spoke this week and i was really taken back by something that elliot friedman said on 32 thoughts, I shared it on social media and he was talking about watching that press conference and that it was uncomfortable because you could sense how much Drew has, you know, kind of relished being a flyer and 14 years. Saturday was 14 years from when he made his debut with the flyers, longest tenured athlete in the city, been a captain for a long time. Yeah. The team success in his captaincy has not been there, but I, and what Fridge was pointing out was that he spoke with uh, Jamie Lumark's wife. Her, her name's Erica. I actually know her because she lives in the area and I know Jamie well. And she had sent Frege a note back when he was playing for Toronto, asking to talk to him about what families go through when players are being talked about being traded or being moved. And this simplicity with which we tend to approach it from the outside of, yeah, he'll go play for a cup contender. Why? Who wouldn't, right? And we think that, well, because they have money, there's not other considerations of family, loyalty, and you know, wanting to play for the same team and all those things. And I think it was a really important point that we're all kind of glossing over is that Giroux right now, in a way, seems not wounded, but hurt that he has to leave, that he has to make this decision. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at it. And I think it's it's a legacy thing as much as anything. And he's poured um, so much into it. He has. He's poured so much into it. And it's, you know, the phrase of looking over your shoulder and you want to lead. And it's, do you have, has he had? The personnel, enough personnel around uh, with him, uh, to to have pushed for a Stanley to have pushed for a Stanley Cup during his time, and uh, you know, since he's been captain, and it, it's unfortunate that you know the prime, the, the, what you would call the prime years of, of Claude Giroux's career, the Flyers were in, were in a were in a re- constant retool, yeah. and constantly looking and trying to you know under the, in the Hexel era, trying to you know build up the players around. This is a conversation I remember having with a couple you know reporters back when is that some of the you know young veterans are not going to be young veterans when these younger players are going to be ready to go. And we've reached that point 
And we've had two seasons now for, for, for the Flyers where things have been, you know, markedly. And it's, I'm sure for him from a legacy perspective, he looks at it. He, I, he, I think he takes having the captaincy on his jersey very, very importantly, very seriously, um, as well he should. And knows, is acutely aware of the fact that, you know, he's been in the second round of the playoffs with the, you know, when he, as captain, I mean, he obviously got to the Stanley Cup final in 2010 uh, with the, uh, with, with the Flyers team, but it was just different. He was a young, a younger player, not, 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 not part of the leadership. So I know he has to be looking at that and saying, I wanted to do it here. I mm-hmm. wanted to do it in Philadelphia. And now the possibility of, you know, at age 34, not reaching the summit, and, and, and pouring everything that you have into this has got to be incredibly wounding for him. It is. Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost like a, a feeling that you don't want to use the phrase failure, but it, it, it feel it, it probably for him, it, it has tinges of that. It's, it's, a, it's obviously much more new. I think it's more nuanced and more layered than that, because I think he has been one of the top players. We all would agree. He's been one of the top players in the national hockey league for a long time. But now he's on the other side of his of, of his prime years and is aware of the fact that he's got numbers that are I think put him into the Hall of Fame. Um, but a cup is what is what would make him a no doubt about it. Yeah, a cinch Hall of Famer for sure. I, and I think the other thing too, when it comes to Drew, is you know he's a guy that you know, Dronick talked about it a couple of years ago that sometimes his competitiveness became a detriment because he would get too wound up and too caught up in when things didn't go well and put too much pressure on himself. He's a guy I imagine, and I've obviously talked to him quite a bit, that if you played ping pong with him in the player's lounge, he would carve your eyeballs out to win. If you're playing bocce or you're playing croquet, he is going to do everything he can to win. Like that's what he's all about. And just, and because he hasn't had the the right people around him to have team success and look that's what the nhl is about and that's going to lead us right to what we're going to talk about next amp because i've been doing this kind of series on flyers daily about what's wrong with the flyers and really you know the residing kind of feedback i've gotten from fans through my dms has been a big thing is development you know development at the lower level to get to the nhl and then development in the nhl and then the other thing that i'm starting to see and this is where i want to get your opinion is about Roster construction, because you can have good players, but they got to fit together. They got to be able to complement each other. They got to be slotted correctly. How much of an issue do you see roster construction as the issue with the Flyers? Not this year, because obviously injuries are a big part of it. But overall, is that is that a big bugaboo for you? It is. It can in terms of how you structure it. And again, there's many, many different ways. I think we all make the mistake of thinking that there's one specific way that you have to develop the roster. There are many different paths, I think, pathways. The draft is obviously, I think, should be core number one because that's where you teach, you know, whatever the core value is that you are you're putting forth as an organization. Uh, the players have to feel that coming through the system and developing, I think, is a big part of that. Uh, but then, of course, you have, of course, the veterans that you also bring in to sort of mirror, you know, who have been in other maybe winning organizations uh, that, you know, bring up, you know, bring about that level of accountability 
that needs to be there as an well. element of your DNA as a franchise. Exactly. Where you say, this is, if we, if we're, if you're a young player with a lot of talent, we want to say, this is a guy, this, if you're looking for what we are looking for, you want to, you know, in terms of professionalism, uh, but also, you know, not having letdowns on shifts and things of that sort. Now, again, it's a long season, 80 some games and going into playoffs and all that. And there's always going to be those lulls. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, but roster construction, again, how you get to that point, I think there is a, a delicate chemistry that's involved. You have to also feel like as well that the coaches as well are a key element to that as well. They have to, and the Flyers, again, have been in a very, it's been like a decade of trying to, you know, build from 20, what happened in 2010 and building up to that point. And it's gone much, obviously, longer than expected. Um, and how you develop those players become key to that whole roster construction. It's chemistry. Some of it is just, you know, some of it can be harnessed, I guess, in this case. I guess maybe that's not the right word we're looking for here, but. I do think it's absolutely critical. Players need to know what their roles are, um, but also have to sometimes feel like there is opportunities to contribute more if they can. Yeah. You have to believe that everybody, while you have a role, if you do something, then you could give yourself an opportunity to, for growth too. You don't just want to sort of be slot and say, this is the guy that you are per se with a chance to grow, but at least. Because that's motivating to a player. Precisely. It's yes. just like us at any job. If you're an accountant and you work at a big accounting firm and you're hired, brought in to do job X, you got to go and you got to do your job. If you're trying to do other people's jobs, you're probably shirking your own job a little bit, mm -hmm. but you also have to have the the ability or the mindset that, hey, if I do a good job doing my job, I can move up in this organization from an accountant to a senior accountant to a vice president to a president. And that would be the arc of a career. And, you know, I look at it off the ice. I totally agree with you. I think there's an identity issue just in, in what they're trying to be. I've always said they've overcorrected the steering wheel from the Broad Street bully era because, you know, that was the identity. And they had to move on from it because you can't go out and just beat everybody up. That's not the game anymore. And it's a speed skill game. And there's a lot of different things. But in doing that, they kind of grabbed the steering wheel and cranked it a little too far because now they're so far from that, they need some of that grit and some of that accountability to the opposition on the ice, and it's and, and it lacks. They have Rasmus Ristolainen, and he brought some of that, but there's not a collective mindset of that, and I think that's got to be part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you're, you're trying to find parts, I think, this offseason for looking at the current roster construction. If you look at each, I think, move individually, Jason – they made perfect sense for what what we all thought that the Flyers needed to be closer to. You needed more a player with more of a goal scoring mindset in a Cam Atkinson. You needed a you know that one element of that blue line that was definitely non-existent was a big physical tough defenseman who could play a little bit in Rasmus Ristolainen. Um, but Ristolainen again, we all knew there was obviously a risk factor involved with him be go going into a UFA year. But you count on that being a motivating factor going forward. Um, you felt like you need, they needed a veteran, you know, backup goaltender. And again, goaltending hasn't to me, um, is, I mean, Jones has been okay. Uh, you know, he's almost, we almost got to the point where it's almost, I'm expecting a three goal, three goals a game seems to be the average for him, but, um, it's, there's just the parts should fit 
better than they have. Yeah. And when I look at that and say that the parts don't fit better than they have, then is it a roster construction or is it just, you know, there's it, it many different issues, but I think, you know, some of it is also what is the environment in the room? Um, and I will say sometimes again, you know, sometimes if you do have a player with the level of intensity that a Claude Giroux has, you know, sometimes there's need for those moments. And again, it, it's a leadership. We all establish the fact that it's a leadership collective. Yeah. collective and and we've, we've talked about that plenty. But sometimes you go look to the main, you look to the main guy, you look to the captain in this case. And then sometimes I wonder, you know, the intensity isn't is good, but sometimes I almost wonder if he burns a little too hot. Mm-hmm. And then the room that's what really, Ronick was talking room, about. Yeah. Exactly. Where the room really tightens up to the point where they make a mistake and everything's like, oh crap. You know, it's it's just this whole goes to shit. Yeah, everything just goes and it's just they're they're too tight. They're too tightly wound. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, we've seen the word thrown around on social media quite a bit. Uh, there's apathy about this team, relevance, but the people that are throwing that word around just keep tweeting about the team. So whether you may be apathetic and, and angry, I think people are still I think this is a really pivotal time for the organization and the job that they have to do. And, you know, we're not oblivious to the fact that injuries are a part of what's happened this year. I mean, when you look at what they're missing and what they face on the opposition, you kind of go, well, how can they win? <laughs> you know what I mean? When you're missing Couturier Hayes, your top pairing right side defenseman, you were without Ristolainen, and you have Justin Braun playing on a top pair, no Farabee. I mean, all these, in- I mean, it's insane what they've gone through. I think the team that's injured right now, if you played a, a, a four on four tournament and each team had two lines, the injured team would beat the, the team that's active. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think Minus some, the goaltending. I think someone, I'm not sure it was, put out the full flyer, you know, injury report and set up an actual lineup. Yeah, it was, it was Alex like Appleyard. Was it? <laughs> yeah, Appleyard. Appleyard put it out. That's right, Alex Appleyard. Yeah, it was a good team. <laughs> and I was looking at it and going, this, that roster will probably beat the current one uh, about by four to, by a four to two score, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like, another one of the things gets tossed around when there's going to be a lot of change coming is, who's untouchable and who's not. And I have categories for how I kind of put players that on my team that if another GM called about, there's the totally untouchable category, which nobody is in, um, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. on the team, not even Carter Hart, because if somebody's going to absolutely bowl me over, okay, I'm not looking, I'm not, I mean, you're going to have to really go enormous for me to even continue the conversation, but beyond him, then there's the category guys. I'm not looking to trade, but Hey, I'm not going to slam the phone down. Guys like maybe, you know, Ivan Provorov. Guys, you know, it, Joel Farabee, obviously. And, and guys like that, Sean Couturier. Then there's guys that going, yeah, I'm in the mood to listen. I don't know if I'm going to do it. It's kind of a coin flip. If I get a good deal and a good hockey trade, it's something that will absolutely vet internally. Then there's guys I'm looking to trade. And, you know, you look at it and you go, okay, well, who – you know, people, some people have tweeted me and said that Zach McEwen was untouchable. And this is a fourth line player that was picked up like, off waivers. And I like Zach. I like him. It's nothing against him. It's nothing against Zach, but there is literally, you know, so know replaceable. From the, we need, we need the, we need big physical for the Flyers. Zach, you know, we want to talk about a guy who is a snake, but as it comes when it comes to goal, scoring goals, but he's just like a step two. So like at the AHL, he could maybe 
score these goals, but if you're expecting it at the NHL, I, I don't believe it's going to happen. And maybe it's this whole, he's a closer to the broad street bully way of things. But yeah. even then you still need to have a guy who's able to play, but he can skate a bit. He's physical. If he's on uh, my fourth line, I'm fine. I, but right. to say but, he's untouchable is, is no, absurd. you use the phrase like untouchable for anybody who's currently on the flyer fourth. who's on the flyer fourth line. Um, you know, the one player I might get a little bit surprised if he is dealt, but I, but again, if it's a good offer, it's a good offer would be Scott Lawton. Yeah. To me. Um, yeah. I would, I, I think he is the, if, when, if, and when Claude is traded, I think it's probably between Scott and Sean Couturier as to who the next team captain is, which is probably in this circumstance because they're the, they're the, they're the guys with the contracts with the longest tenures. Um, yeah. And, but I could also see, Lawton fitting in on a whole lot of contending teams and being a and being a, a contrib a, a strong postseason contributor uh, yeah. for that team. To me, yeah, I totally agree with you because there's a couple of reasons. Number one, what he brings on the ice, shift in, shift out, and then number two, the fact that his contract's not exorbitant, so a lot of teams can be in play for that, and they all want that. You want to add that element if you lack it a little bit, and who doesn't want a, a versatile guy? that can move around your lineup, play wing center, kill penalties, um, bring character every night. I mean, every team wants that. And, yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things. When they signed into that deal, I remember talking with Bill Meltzer and, and some people were going, nobody should be re-signed right now, considering how last season was going at that time at the deadline. But they go, okay, what's the cost for a replacement? And he gave a little bit of a hometown discount on what he could have gotten perhaps on the open market. So yeah. you, if you look at the cost per replacement, it, it was a good deal. Yeah, but you, you're right. Um, any consideration that Atkinson could be the next captain? It's another conversation. Um, I, I, <laughs> the thing about Atkinson is I'm between he could be a captain to if someone comes with a really, yeah. really slammed on golfer, he could be moved. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm absolutely. And, and it, it depends on how, you know, Fletcher sort of wants to shape this thing going forward. I, I, I think when you go out and acquire – Again, if you're able to defray the, the entirety of the contract and not have to take anything in return, then it may be something where you go, we need that flexibility going forward. And Cam is 32 years of age. 30, and um, is if we're – it all depends on where they're trying what, – what direction do they see from themselves? Are they retool? Are they rebuild? Do they – you yeah. know, are they, as Dave Scott said, two to three players away? I feel like this team's a bit more than still more than two to three players away, mm -hmm. um, unless he's talking about a you know a high level superstar level player coming in that he thinks can change the culture in the room. If Claude is out and say they go out and acquire, they manage to to bring in Johnny Goudreau, which I don't think is necessarily outside the realm of possibility. I think they probably do want to have someone this offseason who they could bring in. This is something we brought up on off the post today um, that. You know, you, you're, you're, you're not playing this in a vacuum. You do see that the Phillies went out and got a Bryce Harper. You do see that the Sixers went out and traded for a James Harden. Do you feel that external pressure? Uh, and you see a guy like Goudreau being a guy that can sort of change dynamically the culture that exists in the room. The other thing with Goudreau, I mean, there's this assumption that, hey, he grew up here. He'll want to play here. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think athletes a lot of times prefer not to play in the area they grew up on because they don't want to soil the homeland. Mike Trout is a great example. Mm -hmm. Mike Trout was at every Eagles game. I think he's got a room in his mansion 
with just footballs that he got handed to him by Carson Wentz because mm-hmm. he's always in the end zone. They always gave him a ball. I'm like, he could yeah. buy a ball. Um, he could buy the stadium. But and it was when his deal's up in Anaheim, he's going to come and play in Philadelphia. What do he do? He re-signed in Anaheim because he likes to come back here and not have any history. Yeah. Not have any history of failure or success or doesn't have that pressure. This is the escape land, not the area to bring mixed business with home life or where you're from. I, I we'll see about Goudreau. And I think we, he and we could also draw comparisons up in Montreal when we had both when they when they had opportunity for Danny Briere, when they had a chance for Vinny Cavalier. Those yeah. players chose not necessarily because they know what the intensity level is. I'm pretty sure I, I, I may be wrong on this. I'm pretty sure at some point that Goudreau did say at some point of his at some point of his career he would like to play in Philadelphia. The question is whether or not this would be enough. You know, would this be the time? Yeah. For him? But the next contract he gets is going to be his legacy contract anyway. By the time he would. If he signs with Calgary again or another team in, as an understood to free agent, by the time he comes back, you're looking at he's in his mid-30s. Yeah, and he's having a good year, 63 points right now, tied for fourth in the NHL with another guy that uh, has been mentioned in regards to the Flyers, and that's Nazem Kadri. Mm-hmm. And this is a player, like I like Kadri, and he's careering it this year at a perfect time in a contract year with Colorado. But that's not a guy that I would – be in favor of them bringing in on a big deal because I don't know that he's going to age well in this league. I don't know. He's having a heck of a year. And again, it does help when you have in front of you, Yeah, when you have, you know, Nathan McKinnon in front of you. And I know with Colorado as well, they're preparing for it. That's one of the reasons why conversations, when we get into, you know, Claude Giroux going to Colorado, why I think it's going to be difficult to try to extract an Alex Newhook. Uh, because I think he's the guy who will eventually replace uh, Kadri. when Kadri goes to free agency. So that's what you have to look at from the other from the other side of the looking glass for Colorado. Kadri is in. Tr- I'll put it this way: I am in, I, there's some, I am intrigued, but I am not necessarily certain of the aging. I, I have heard before that when he before he was dealt to Colorado that there was an interest level in Kadri from Philadelphia whether or not that would come to fruition here in free agency. I have to look at it from the point of view of you have multiple center. Where exactly are you playing Kadri? Are you playing him? If you're playing him at center, which is his natural position, are you knocking, are you basically now putting uh, Kevin Hayes back online, moving him to the third line? If you have, if that's the projection, say if Philadelphia is looking and saying we want to bring in, we well, want to be, big, we want to be strong down the middle. So yeah, you're uh, big up the middle. That's for sure. Exactly, you're big up the middle. So you're going to have you know a, a Couturier, a Cadre, a, a Hayes. That's a seven million dollar a year third line center mm-hmm. uh, that you're talking about with Kevin Hayes. Which is, do you want to be distributing that level of uh, of money to your third line center in that circumstance? So. I don't know, Jace. It's it's I, 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 there's things about Kadri's game I do like. I also know that sometimes in the heat of the moment he does some stupid stuff. On yeah, his. meltdowns. He has his meltdowns, and that unfortunately that is an element of a minus for me. Um, but I can't deny his skill set. I mean, he I, I think he's a he's a really there's a lot of things about his game to like. Yeah, I um, mean he he's a guy he scored over 30 goals twice in his career, 32 yeah. two years in a row in Toronto. But to me, you know, the, the term that's been thrown around by Chuck Fletcher and by Danny Briere is 
high-end talent. They need high-end talent. And I don't think it's a mistake that both of them have used that turn of phrase. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, you look at Kadri, he's never had more than – he's got 63 points this season. He's going to have a career year. But prior to that, never had more than 61. A high-end talent player to me is a point-per-game player. To me, that's what they need to find. And what I threw out to Bill Meltzer one time on Flyers Daily, I said, okay, when Toronto fails in the first round again <laughs> – because they will, maybe. Um, but if they fail in the first round this year, I'm calling Kyle Kyle Dubas's replacement <laughs> and asking about Mitch Marner. And I'll say, I'll give you Konechny and I'll give you Proveroff. And I'll take Mitch Marner. Money matches. And because they need D help, you're still giving them a forward and a winger mm-hmm. in, in a guy like Konechny. And you get your face of the franchise to replace Claude Giroux and Mitch Marner. And you also... Now you have now you got a hole in your left side of your top pair, so you got to go out and get Jeffrey, uh, Jacob Chikrin. Uh, But there's a way to do that as well. So that's my reshaping in kind of my uh, my dream world. All right, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought. I've heard that before um, in terms of uh, again, if you are looking at that high end talent, but if, if if you're moving guys off, and again, the question is going to be for Toronto, depending on where they're at. Do you look at you know, they're looking for that, right? you know, right sh- – they, I know Toronto's desire is for a right-shot defenseman uh, in that top four. So – but at the same time, I'd have to look – I'd have to – if I'm Toronto, I'd certainly have to look at it. And you have to see, again, who who Dubas is replaced if, the, if Dubas is not going to be the new GM. Uh, it's a pathway to take. Um, and, again, if you're moving off uh, – but, again, they also have to consider – you also match salaries and everything else in terms of how that would match and where they're at cap wise. That's the other thing you have to take a look at there. Yeah. Those two would match. The, the thing is, is here's the reason why you you target a team like Toronto, mm-hmm. because they already have several guys who are the face of the franchise. If you want high end talent, you can't go to a team that you're taking their best player. Cause they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to find a team like Toronto who has Austin Matthews is the young face of their mm-hmm. franchise, John Tavares. They have those guys already. If you take Mitch Marner off their, you know, off the marquee, it doesn't suffer as much as if you take, you know, a player, you know, the best player on a team off that doesn't have another star, a star quality player. He's not the best player on that team, but he's a star. Yeah. I hear that. And in terms of, again, if, if Toronto does hit the wall again, doesn't get out of the first round again, there is going to be the desire and need to shake the mix. Yeah, they have to. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. And again, the question is, again, how does Toronto view? I mean, they have scouts, too, and they can see that. Yeah, certainly Travis Konechny, he has his moments of of offensive brilliance, but but we also know that, you know, he can be defensively suspect a bit. Um, do they look at, you know, do they envision an Ivan Provorov with a Morgan Riley in this circumstance and think to themselves, that could be a really good top pairing. Minutes eating. Minute eating top pairing defense. And we know Provorov is, you know, he's a tough, he's a tough enough customer on that, on that blue line for sure. I think it's also, but I also wonder as well, at least from Philadelphia's perspective, that they think they want to give, they really want to have, the opportunity to see Ellis and Provorov together. Are they, are they ready to completely cut bait on Ivan Provorov uh, as a top, you know, on this team? Yeah. I, and that's the part I have to wonder about, Jason. Yeah, this is a big pie in the sky. I think it's un, uh, obviously incredibly yeah. unlikely. But, but if you look at Provorov, Sandheim, and TK, 
I don't think all three return. Who returns and who doesn't? Mm, I think Proby returns. Sanheim, I think, is a 50-50. Um, because of the one year he, left, he's got one year left on the deal. Um, that could be a case where, again, if you have somebody else out there who's a long term, if you're looking at a guy, I don't know, again, if you're going to bring up a Jacob Chikrin in this circumstance, if you know, if that's part, if you're looking to basically swap out and Chikrin plays a style that maybe you're looking closer for in that circumstance, but I think you'd have to include something else to go out to Arizona to make the deal happen. Um, Something cheap too, because they yeah, I think TK is borderline. I think he's. I would ang- angle that he would be probably the guy who would be of the three, the most likely to be included in a trade this offseason. Pro eighty percent chance TK is hmm? not back. Eighty percent chance he's dealt. You think? Is that a little so, high? Again, yeah, I think there's. I, I don't know about eight, eighty. Hmm. It's tough, right? 80 percent is kind of where I feel it. It is. It's probably maybe I maybe I would probably lean closer to the seventy percent. Again, it depends on how the season closes out too. Yeah. Um, but I would say I, I had that feeling of a say that that the seventy eighty percent probably is it probably leaner closer to seventy percent. Provy, really good deal has to be involved. I think for them to move off of Provy, I think they still see him as a top pairing defenseman, and as such, I think he stays. And and again, I think if Ryan Ellis is recovered, they want to see that. For you know, if they can get a good idea of what they have there, if Ellis is fully recovered, when if you know, again, if Ellis, you know, we don't know what the situation is with Ryan Ellis. That's the thing we're so unclear on that. But in theory, that he gets through the summer, he does recover, is able to play, doesn't get hurt. You want, uh, I think, you want to see that pairing and and see how that shakes out. And Travis, I think, is I think is probably in the fifty to sixty percent range. Probably, um, I still think that's. And, and it's pri- and primarily because of the contract. Yeah, it takes them right up to UFA. Yeah, it takes them up to UFA. So that's where you're at there, I think. That's why yeah. I, I would agree. Most, connect me the most likely of those three. All right, let's wrap up on, on two things. First, let's go to Morgan Frost, then we're going to go to the coaching. But let's start. Morgan Frost, um, you know, being utilized in a fourth-line role, second power play. He's kind of been moved around a little bit. Has shown some flashes, but not a ton of consistency. We know that he missed – you know, so much time, A, when the pandemic hit and he was just like basically a black ace. And then when he did get in in the second game of the season prior to this, he had the shoulder injury, had surgery, missed the entire campaign. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people are tired of hearing about Morgan Frost and this prospect that we had that put up such big numbers in the OHL and was so great in junior and then had a good year with the in the AHL, but hasn't really done it at the NHL level just yet. And part of the thing with frost is a lot of people believe that he's being asked to do things that don't accentuate his abilities you know as an offensive player asking him to be more responsible defensively which everybody needs to be but there's a line where that really affects a player's creativity and offensive instincts and you know i i caution people to kind of go throw the baby out with the bathwater because like i look back and i look back at patrick sharp's numbers he didn't score 20 goals in the nhl until he was 25 yeah. <laughs> 25 years old. Yeah. And obviously the Flyers dealt him too soon. And then there's other players like Justin Williams that you got to be careful because not every player's timetable is the same and it's not a straight line. Where are you on Morgan Frost? Morgan, we get the flashes. Um, the thing I will always come back to with Morgan is he has to, he has to, con- he has to play at a, at, at a consistent pace. 
he has to be going a hundred. He has to have that engine going a full rev all the time. Uh, and I feel like there's still moments here where he his engine revs high. And there's other times when I feel that it doesn't rev as high as it needs to on a consistent basis. I do wonder a bit about Morgan. I think sometimes what happens with prospects, if you've been around for a little bit of a while, you do get to maybe there's, I don't want to say staleness to it, but I do wonder if it's the scary thing for the Flyers is if it isn't going to, you know, if he doesn't happen here and it doesn't just the environment for whatever reason and the roles that he's been put in doesn't happen here and he goes to another organization and he takes off, you're biting your knuckle because it's just what, you know, how much of it is, it then becomes very much a case of it, it, the player is certainly responsible for his own development as well in terms of the willingness to make to, to do the things that you're asked to do as a player. But I also wonder sometimes, you know, the old change of scenery and things click think for some reason, things just click better to just how you're developed as a player. Uh, Morgan's had obviously things, you know, has had a lot of things bite his development. There's no question about that. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm hesitant to move on from him uh, this offseason. Uh, that being said, if it's one of those things where if, if it's a game-changing talent that you can add to the NHL roster, does that prevent me from including him in, in a potential deal? The answer is no. Yeah, a known commodity versus a slightly unknown commodity. Exactly. I just like I said, I do have it in the back of my head, a, a Patrick Sharp. But again, would a Patrick – I always say this to people. You know, maybe Justin Williams would have evolved into that player with Philadelphia. Sometimes it's it's in a different place. It would Patrick Sharp. We all know, you know, his well documented clashes with coaching with, with with coaches. We I mean, listen, I was witness to one of them when he was with the Phantoms, and he was ticked off at John Stevens for something. You know, and then later on, obviously, Hitch hit you know King Hitchcock had his had his concerns with him, but he goes to Chicago. And the situation was almost ready-made. He didn't have to necessarily be the guy yeah. in Chicago. And that all the environment just, matters. We get back to that again. We get back to that question about roster construction to start off the show. And, and but there's part of what goes into that roster construction is how well those pieces fit and how the chemistry works. Yeah. And where people are slotted as well. Uh, last thing for you, Ant. Um, mm-hmm. Coaching. Mike Yo obviously has been put in a very difficult situation from the moment he got the interim head coach job. I mean, the second of a back-to-back and you had Colorado Avalanche that night after getting belted seven to one the night before by the Tampa Bay Lightning and obviously the injuries and and everything else in a team, you know, dealing with a crisis of confidence and fragility and all of those things. And Mike's been incredibly, I think, transparent in his dealings with the media, which has been refreshing and honest. And, you know, you look at the job that he's done and it's not going to land him the head coach job here. I think we all know that. I think he probably knows that. But that being said, what are you looking for in the next coach? Do you have a couple of guys? Again, it depends on what route they go because there's coaches for teams rebuilding with youth and there's coaches for win now, couple pieces away. Uh, You know, if you had to guess what route they're going to go, who is the coach to fill that spot? This is a tough question. And listen, we know, I'll, I'll say this as well, is we don't know, you know, is coach, if there's another general manager, we just don't know at this point. Yeah. We could say, again, he's the guy, you know, Chuck Fletcher is the guy right now. But what if they do decide to make a change in management? Then then that completely changes the calculus altogether for coaches. Yeah. Philosophically I, and tree of yeah. past experience and dealings with people and relationships. 
precisely. And then what I look at as well, when it comes, let's let's keep it to the coach here. Again, assuming Chuck is still GMing this team throughout the summer. Um, I think what you look for is, and this this is no fault of Mike Eo in this case, but he has been with this organization for several years now. He isn't what I would refer to as a new voice in the room. No. And I do feel like they probably will need to bring bring in someone who will be, if there is a new coach, that may have organizational history. Maybe it's a Rick Tockett. I don't know. Uh, but some, but it has to be some sort of a uh, of a voice in the room. And I think everybody kind of looks at the Carolina archetype of Rod Brindamore. I yeah. think that's what I think a lot of people look at. Where you have maybe it is a former a, a, a former player who is on their way coming in and 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 can and can link and relate to a lot of the players and, and understand that calculus. That's the one thing about with Elaine Vigno prior to that is that Elaine was old school. Um, and some of those things were, you know, admirable things that you would say that, you know, to, that you would want from your organization, but it's different times, 2022. And, you know, players are different in, 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 in that respect. So that to me, maybe it's talking. I don't know. Again, prior, he has prior head coaching, you know, head coaching experience. I think there would have been enough of talent. I don't think it would be, although from a cultural standpoint, we, we people knock John Tortorella. I think he's probably, probably past the point now. Uh, but I would say players who have played for John Tortorella have always spoken very highly of him. As, Cam Atkinson included. Atkinson included. So that, if they are looking to to bring in a you know if Torts finds the juice again, <laughs> but again is that the same thing as is it cutting a little too close to to to, to veteran older coach in this circumstance? It's got to be a culture thing as much as anything. I think it's extremely important that yeah. you know whoever it is that they bring in, it's going to be different. Claude Giroux, if he is dealt again, the leadership dynamic will be different. Yeah, maybe certain players that were didn't with Claude being captain didn't feel like empowered. empowered maybe to, 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 to do things or say things when you have, you know, you know, Claude being the guy in the, in the room. So the atmosphere is going to be, is going to be important. The leadership group, how that coach sort of, and that's the thing. There's just a, a, a I hate to use like esoteric terms or instant tangible stuff, but there is a certain Spirit level, I guess mm -hmm. you could say morale level. You have to feel yeah. like somebody's really trying to, it's not just sort of trying to stay above water, but to feel like that you really can believe and get out of it. And it isn't just work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, and it's gonna everything's gonna come. There has to be things that are done. Um, I think from the beginning of the before the season begins, that establishes some kind of a dy group dynamic, a culture in the room. That helps that that helps the team moving forward. I think a guy like Torts makes the team matter instantly at a higher level in the city. I just his presence does that, and a, well, a lot of his shenanigans are exactly that to take the bullseye off players. Yes, you know he becomes the enemy of the media purposely. He's willing and, to be the bullet magnet, basically. Yeah, and you know jump in front of anything, and he doesn't do it in a way that makes you think that it, that's what he's doing. It's just that he's a, you know, a psychopath sometimes, but that's what he's doing. And I think that's what players appreciate mm -hmm. is that he's the one that's going to take all that stuff. He'll call players out and he is one tough bastard on players. Yeah. Um, but to me, um, if you have the right team, 
then I think he's the right guy. He could be, but what I'll say is this is that again, it's been a, it's been a while since John's teams have had consistent postseason experience, not experience, but success. We, you can talk, we can point to that. All know, those years in Columbus, that's why. All those years in Columbus and yeah. you're kind of behind it. But again, even in New York, there was a, there was certainly a, a, he struggled even with star players that he had there. Uh, Vancouver is well documented this point. One and done. It was really <laughs> the last time that he had extended closer to later of playoff success in a Stanley Cup and, and obviously a Stanley Cup ring in 04. That's the one thing where I'm kind of, yes, he's a name, but are you – going to move the dial i think the players in many ways have to be the guys that are going to move the dial and you have to find yeah. the coach in this circumstance it's going to have respect uh, yeah. in, in- players play coaches coach exactly i totally agree with you and the one thing about him he runs so hot but the odd thing is is that only one of his tenures was short and that was the vancouver one year because he just melted down mm-hmm. and maybe that just wasn't the right situation for him but six years six years and seven years between tampa the Rangers and Columbus. Yeah. And like you said, all the play, most of the players that played for him really liked playing for him. Yeah. And for whatever reason that is, and Cam Atkinson included, that could be part of the equation. And this was awesome. Thanks for doing this as always read and stuff at center ice Philly and the off the post podcast. People can get that on Apple iTunes and all that stuff. Yeah. You sign on Spotify specifically in most cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Spotify. Well, hmm. that, and well, that's, we blame Mike. We can blame my co-host Russ Cohen for that. Well, we but, blame uh, him for a lot. <laughs> and then, of course, and also Full Plus Radio Network, uh, which is basically our, where we're based off of. So there you go. That's Ant stuff, and you can catch him soon on the Stick to F One podcast as the season's right around the corner as well. With yours truly. Thanks for doing this, Ant. My pleasure, Jason. Thanks to Anthony Minjoni for joining us on this episode of Stick to Hockey Live, presented by Park Sportsbook. We got to scurry. We got to get to the game because the Flyers play. The Carolina Hurricanes coming up at 3 o'clock today. We'll have another episode of Stick to Hockey Live presented by Park Sportsbook coming up on Thursday. Tomorrow, another brand new episode. Harry's actually in Florida, and he will be on location. So we'll have a, a brand new episode of Park Sportsbook Presents the Aji's podcast with myself and Harry Mays tomorrow as well. So everybody, enjoy the hockey today. We'll join you Thursday for another episode. Make sure you download the app and uh, check it out. It's real simple to use. Just deposit and you get a free bet, a risk-free bet, up to $500 just for checking it out. And again, you can bet on player performances. You can bet exact score today. You can bet on the first guy to score or a certain player to score. All different kinds of bets you can get in on all the games and all the sports. You got hoops, college and pro, maybe baseball coming up here at some point. Uh, Of course, uh, you have everything and anything in the world of sport, not just in North America, but internationally as well, to be able to get your money in on. And we'll have Tone's Takes coming up on Thursday's episode, give you some plays. So download the app, check it out, buzz around a little bit, and make a deposit, get your first bet risk-free up to $500. Make sure you follow on the social channels at Park Sportsbook on Twitter. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. That's going to wrap it up. Stick to Hockey Live presented by Park Sportsbook. We'll see you Thursday for another brand new episode.